Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. Good morning. My name is Ali Shulman. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to echo what Stephen said at the beginning. We are so glad that you are here today. We think that you picked a really good week to come. We are in our second week of our sermon series called Mastermind. And the origin, origin of this sermon series came when Stephen and I were talking about, at the Grove, we do a pretty good job of talking about habits and actions, or at least we think we could do a good job. But we do a pretty good job of talking about actions and habits and all the stuff that we can do to change our life. But we started to think a little bit more about well, what is behind those actions? What if we took a step back? Because before actions, there is emotion, and before emotion, there is thoughts. So what if we did a sermon series based around how we think? And maybe if we dug deep into how we think, then maybe we could start to change the way we act. And then maybe that, over time, could change our lives. And so last week we started with this idea that your life moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And we use this analogy of a dog on a leash, right? And the dog is your thoughts. And sometimes you're walking and you feel in complete control of the dog. You are the one walking the dog. And then some of y'all, at some points in your life, the dog is walking you. And then some of us, the dog is gone. It's off the leash. We don't know where the dog is. The dog is running wild. And we talked about how so, it would be so much better for our lives if we had control of that dog. And so we looked at our thoughts and we examined and used this audit We asked you guys to think about where your thoughts have been over the course of the week and to pick numbers on that scale of where you fell, where the quality and content of your thoughts fell on that scale. And I've talked and texted with a lot of you this week and a lot of the comments I'm getting is like, Allie, my numbers are are way on the left-hand side of this diagram. And for most of you, I texted back and I said, mine too. Mine too, because the reality is, you remember last week, Stephen started talking a little bit about the spiritual gift of criticism, and I don't know this for sure, but I pretty, you were talking about me, right? Maybe, maybe. Yes, so that is my gift. I am really good at noticing problems and gaps. I'm really good at finding what's wrong, and that serves me really well in a lot of areas in my life. But sometimes, Sometimes that same gift can lead me into some really dark places. There have been moments in my life when I have felt like the dog is completely off the leash and I don't know how to control it anymore. And there have been moments in my life when that dog is gone and I don't wanna know what to do so I just sit down. I would rather give up. And for a long, long time, I thought that meant that there was something wrong with me, that there was something fundamentally broken in my mind. 
And I spent a large part of my time and a large part of my life trying to figure out how to fix it. So I want to share with you something that I learned a few years ago that really radically changed the way I think about my thoughts. And I hope that it can in some part start to change yours as well. You see, even though it's so easy to feel like it's our fault, like we need to fix our minds, the reality is that our brain, when they're doing that, when they're sometimes running out of control, it's actually exactly what they were designed to do. Because the purpose of the brain, the original, way back, purpose of the brain, was to protect us from physical harm. That was his number one goal, that still is its number one goal, even though we don't live that out as much anymore. It was to protect us from physical harm. And so our body and our brain learned how to do that super well. And it created this system, this complex system that we now call the fight or flight response, right? And that system works like this. So we have this little tiny inner part of our brain. It's called the limbic system. It's this tiny inner part. And that part got really, really good whenever we saw a threat. Whenever we saw a threat or a trigger or stressor, it got really good at knowing this is how we're gonna get out of this situation. This is how we're gonna save ourselves. And that's what you use when you respond automatically, when you jump out of the way when something comes towards you, when you flinch, when someone hits you, that system is activated. But in order to derive all the resources toward this brain, it had to turn off all the other parts of your brain. So this part, the part that wraps around your brain, our cerebral cortex, that part, that's responsible for all of your thinking, for your problem solving, for making wise choices, for integrating your emotions and your thoughts. What you consider your thinking, that's in this part. And we don't need it when there's something cutting at us or about to get hit. And that's why when you go through your life and there is something that you perceive as threat or something that you perceive as a danger to you, this start, it just stops working. We literally aren't thinking when we feel like we're in a threatened situation. And that would have been fine if our brain had recognized, well, we don't have any more physical threats. Not most of us, not on a daily basis. We're pretty good at being safe. We don't need all those stressors, all those triggers anymore. But what happened is that our brain was so used to that process, it was so used to that stressor and response that it just started to find threats elsewhere. It found a threat when you got told you didn't get that job. And it found a threat when your best friend didn't text you back. And it found a threat when you got turned down for a date. And it found that threat when you learned that you lost the pregnancy. All of those things started to become a threat. And every time that happened, our brain turns off. And we're left with a brain that doesn't know how to think well, that doesn't have the other half to evaluate and criticize and keep it calm. That's why your thoughts feel out of control. For a lot of us, we live stress. There are literally threats all around us, and maybe it's your circumstances. Maybe it's something that you're trying to control in your life. But for many of us, we live in this constant state of stress. 
And so our brain, most of our brain, is turned off. That's how when you have these thoughts sometimes, you can be in this calm-centered state and you might receive this bad news, and in the calm-centered state, you're able to say, well, that's okay, it's all right, I'll move on. But when your brain is triggered, you can sometimes get to that place of, I'm never gonna be good at this. I'm hopeless, I shouldn't have ever applied for that. I shouldn't have done that. And you spiral and spiral and spiral until those thoughts affect your emotions, which affect your actions. Can I tell you what happened to me this week? Something that y'all should know about our sermon series is every time, without fail, every time that we plan a sermon series, God decides, God decides to make us live out that lesson in our week before. Inevitably, it happens. So like a few weeks ago, we were preaching Comparison Trap. And of course, it's the week that God decides to show us how we are comparing ourselves to others via Instagram or whatever. And that's why we're never, ever, ever gonna preach a sermon series on patience, ever, ever. <laughs> never gonna happen, we don't wanna learn that lesson. But this week, this week, of course, there were so many moments this week where my brain just wasn't working, where I felt like my thoughts were going all over the place and I felt like I couldn't control it. For some reason, my brain decided that writing this sermon was a threat. And it kind of makes sense. I mean, it, it is mentally and physically and emotionally exhausting, but it perceived it as a threat. And when it did, when I started to get stressed about it, my, my whole way of thinking stopped. And I started getting into these thought patterns that spiral so quickly. It might start with, I'm never gonna write this sermon. And then it goes into an emotion of helplessness and then it cycles back to this thought of like, maybe I shouldn't be doing this for a living. Maybe this is not what I'm meant to do. Maybe I'm not gonna, it just spirals and y'all know that thought pattern goes so quick. You can get to that bottom thought so fast and it can feel completely out of control. So how, how do we get control back? How do we learn to walk our dog peacefully? How do we learn to not react to every little thing around us? One of my favorite parts, and Stephen alluded to this last uh, week, is that one of my favorite parts about preaching is when we look at science, whatever science we're looking at at the time, and it matches up to the ancient wisdom in scripture. And this week is no exception. So neuroscience will tell you, there's primary, two primary camps about changing your thinking. There's two recommendations. One is to interrupt the fight or flight response. That's how you're gonna change your thinking. You need to interrupt that process. You need to reintegrate your cerebral cortex. That's number one. Number two, you need to create new thought patterns. You need to change the way that you're actually thinking about things and the threats that you see in the world. So those are two things that they recommend. I don't think Paul knew that back then, but he knew something. You see, Paul was this church planner. He wrote a lot of the New Testament, most of the New Testament. is his letters back to his churches, telling them how to live. And this series, we're in a book called Philippians. It's a short letter to this church in Philippi. And he anticipated or knew that they were stuck in these anxious thought patterns. He talks a lot about the mind in this book, which is why we're focusing on it. And so he starts off his little anecdote to and a little instruction to the Philippians, and he says this, do not be anxious about anything. You see, he knew that they were trapped in these patterns of anxiety. 
They were trapped in these patterns of stress. They were trapped in these patterns of worry, mostly not because of their own physical safety, but because of all the emotional threats they saw in the world. And so he gave them instruction. This is the first thing he said. He said, instead, pray about everything. And I can feel the collective inner eye rolls going on, right? Because the thing is, something the church does not do a super great job of is we come in, we tell you, pray, it'll be better, and then we let you go. And we don't really talk about why prayer works or how to do it or why it's important. So I'm going to break this down a little bit because I think that neuroscience actually supports prayer. Like when you look at the studies that have been done on prayer and meditation, it is unequivocally helpful to changing your thoughts. There have been studies done on the brain when you are in a moment of prayer. And there are obvious biological responses. You literally, your heart rate goes down. You take a deep breath. Your breath slows down. You start to reintegrate the thinking part of your brain. It makes you literally less reactive to negative, negative stuff out in the world. So there was this great experiment done um, by a group of researchers in New York, and they had two groups of men from Alcoholics Anonymous. And they showed them each pictures of alcoholic beverages, a stressor for them. And as they put them into the MRI, they asked half of them to pray. As the group that was praying in the MRI, they took scans of their brain. And what they noticed is those men, when they came out, they had significantly less cravings than the ones who didn't pray. Prayer actually calms your system down. It releases you from that fight or flight response. There's other studies that show that it actually counteracts it by releasing dopamine, the happy chemical in our brain. It counters out the stress and the cortisol that comes in to our system. And there have been tons of studies about why, why, why does this work? Why is prayer helpful? And a lot of scientists have come up with two main reasons that prayer is helpful. The first is that it's intentional state. Prayer is a choice. It is a choice that you make in the moment of stress and in the moment of anxiety to stay hold up and pause. You say pause to that system in your brain, that little brain of yours. You say, hold on, I'm going to make a different choice. And it reintegrates your cortex slowly but surely. It's an intentional choice. That's one reason that prayer works or why we think it works. The second reason, the second reason that prayer works, the second reason that we can really trust in prayer is this idea that when you pray, you are putting all of those negative thoughts, all those thought patterns out, whether you're saying them out loud, whether you're saying them in the head to someone, whether you're writing them down, when you put those thoughts out there, when you see them or you hear them, your cortex starts to wonder, is that true? Is it true that I'm never gonna get a job again? That can't be true, that's not true. And subconsciously, you start to reevaluate your choices. You start to reevaluate those patterns. You literally can stop this fight or flight response by taking a moment and intentionally making a choice to pray. Now, as I started to think about prayer and I started to wonder, I, the question that obviously came to my mind was like, well, what kind of prayer? What kind of prayer are we talking about? I was curious, like in these studies, how do they pray? How do they measure prayer? What is it? 
And I came across, there's one primary scientist who does a lot of research on positivity and thinking and the brain. And she is not Christian, but this is the, her definition of prayer, and I think it's really useful. She says, prayer is saying to myself, I'm worried about X, I'm hoping for Y, and I feel supported by Z. In our case, Z is who you're praying to, it's God. I'm worried about X, and I'm hoping for Y. That worried by, about X part, that's the part I was talking about, confessing or saying those things out loud, telling God what you are worried about. But what I found so remarkable when I found this is that Paul in Philippians, he doesn't just leave us hanging. He doesn't actually just say, instead, pray about everything. He gives us a very specific way to pray. And let me tell you, in the Bible, there's tons of ways to pray, tons, tons of ways to pray. He did not have to choose this particular one, but for some reason, when he was talking about anxiety, he chose this way. He says, do not be anxious about every, anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and give thanks for all he has done. Tell God what you hope for. Pray what you hope for. For some reason, I know a lot of us, that feels a little scary sometimes actually. Like maybe we're, we're stepping on God's toes or something. If we give a specific prayer about what we want in life and sometimes we get into this place where like, well, what if, it, what if it doesn't happen? It doesn't happen the way I want or the time I want. Maybe it never even gets answered ever. What does that mean about me, about how I pray about God? How I pray about God? But the reality is that this, this passage it gives us permission to pray boldly, to say exactly what you want, to tell God what you are worried about, and to be bold enough to say what you want. The more specific, the better. To put it out there in the universe in the same way that affirmations work, this works too. It stops the fight or flight response because it reintegrates that part of your brain that can experience hope. There is a part of your brain in the cerebral cortex that knows what hope is, that believes in hope, that wants hope. And when you pray in a moment of stress and you say out loud or you write down what you are hoping for, things change. Your brain literally changes. So prayer is the first way, the stopping the fight or flight response. Paul gives us one more, the second way. It's to change your patterns of thinking. That's what neuroscience says, and this is how Paul frames it. Focus your thoughts on what is true and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. If you all rolled your eyes when I said prayer, I roll my eyes when I read this. Like positivity, I mean, I know it's good for me, but for someone like me who trends towards negative, don't you think I would have done that already? Like if I knew that the answer was, well, just think positively, I would have done that years ago. That would have been the answer. And I think most of us are in that place. We know positivity is good for us. We know it feels good to us. We understand that. We generate positive emotions. We feel better. But it just sometimes, it feels like this aspirational thing to think positively. But let me tell you a little bit more and unpack this a little bit because I think it matches up with two things we've been learning in science over the last 10, 15 years. The first one is pretty incredible. It's that we can change 
our thinking. No matter our age, no matter our age, no matter our life stage, we have the power by intentional choice to change the neural pathways in our brain. That's crazy. That's crazy. Like we were born with this brain and we went through childhood and certain pathways got formed. And that's our automatic response. That's how we work. But you can be an adult and you can make different choices and you can literally rewire your brain. That's one thing that we've learned in the last 10 years. The other that we've been learning at the same time is the power of positive thinking and what it actually does to our brain, what it actually does to our body. So there have been lots of studies on positive thinking, but some of my favorites, one is they divided a group of undergraduates at UNC, my alma mater, they divided a group of undergraduates in two, two groups. One wrote about positive experiences, one wrote about neutral experiences that happened that day. It was a three day long experiment, that's it, three days, that's it. Three months later, they came back and evaluated those same students, and the ones who wrote about positive experiences had fewer visits to student health, better mood levels reported, better relationships, and also better grades. Isn't that nuts? It was a three-day experiment, that's it. And simply reflecting on those positive experiences, it did something in their brain. It rewired the way that they thought only after three days. Another experiment I love to think about is that there was, this, again, a group of students and they showed different groups different pictures, images that elicited some type of emotional response. So one group had joy and contentment, one was negative anger and resentment, and then one was neutral. And then after the experiment was over, they asked all the students, they presented them with a situation, and they said, okay, name all the ways that you think you can solve this situation all the possibilities that you can figure out how to, how to get out of this situation. And the ones who watched or looked at the positive images, they had significantly higher numbers of things that they could do because they were using their whole brain. The others, they had started to shut off start parts of their brain. But the positive images, they could see more possibility. They could understand and think creatively because they were using all of their brain. And that was just from looking at a few pictures that elicited joy and contentment. It's pretty crazy, this power of positive thinking, but it still leaves us in this place of great. How do, how do I do that? How do I consciously do that? I think, I think it's no secret that Y'all have seen the trends of gratitude journals, and sometimes I can feel like roll your eyes, gratitude journals, right? There's a lot of eye rolling in this sermon, isn't there? Um, gratitude journals, they can feel a little cliche, but there's never been more science than to, about those. Like, I can't tell you the number of studies that I found about gratitude journals, about writing down what you're grateful for. And if you dig down into the reasons behind it, it's because those people, the ones who keep those gratitude journals, the ones who remind themselves what is happening and what is good in their life, they wrote them down, they made it a habit, and ultimately, they chose to focus on something else other than their negative stuff going on. You see, I don't think this means that we have to forget all the negative stuff that's going on in our life. 
I don't think that's what Paul means. That's why he talks about prayer for the first half. Tell God the negative things. But then, turn around and look at all the positive stuff that comes with it. When you choose to turn your attention to what is good in your life, you start to form new pathways in your head. You start to rewire your brain. And it can be really simple. It can be like you're driving to work and you feel really stressed up. Look up, look at the sunrise. Be thankful for it. When your kid keeps nagging you and you're so annoyed with them, remember that other cute thing that they did earlier that day. It calms you down, it interrupts that fight or flight response, and it makes you better able to respond the next time. So what's really interesting, I think, about this verse, the next one, is this is how he follows it up. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me everything you have heard from me and saw me doing. That, that's the principle of brain science. That's what you have to do to change your brain. Our brains don't work one and done. You don't just do one thing and it knows how to do it. You literally have to repeat the action over and over again. I don't know if you've heard of it, it's called learning, right? Like that's what you do. So you imagine this field of grass and if you walk through the field once and you turn back around, that pathway's gone. There's no way that path stayed. But if you go down that same path multiple times, eventually the grass gets patted down, maybe it dies a little bit and that pathway becomes straight for you. And our brain will take the path of least resistance. It'll take the path that is clearest. So if you make an intentional effort to focus your thoughts on things that you want to focus on, then you will eventually create a pathway in your brain that didn't exist there before. I had this thought while I was writing this, and I was like, what if, what if God gave us all the good things in our life, all the things that make us feel full, that give us energy? that light us up, that make us feel loved, that make us feel what is good and true and righteous and admirable. What if he gave us all those things? To break the patterns that we have in our heads, to help us move forward from these self-destructive patterns of thought. What if that's why the good existed? Practice is really important and we want to support you in this, so we put this in your bulletin. This is a version of what I do every day. I use something called uh, Write the Word Journal by a shop called Cultivate What Matters. And as I was doing it a couple days ago, I realized, oh, this is exactly what I'm talking about today, right? It is literally writing things down which reinforces that neural pathway. And so I use it like this. On the left, I, we write down scripture. I get a scripture verse every day, they give it to me, I don't have to think about it. And then I just write scripture. Again, whether you believe in it or not, Writing those words down is re-emphasizing what is good in your life. It channels something in your brain that enables you to enter into that positive mindset. It is a good practice to help you rewire those brains. And then my prayers, this is where I write down, and I'm starting to use that format that, uh, that doctor suggested. So I say, I'm worried about X, or I'm hurting because of X. And then I say, I'm, I'm hoping for this. And let me tell you, I'm real specific. Like, I gave up a long time ago asking for prayers like, I hope for healing. I asked for very specific prayers. We're praying for this girl, you might have seen her on Instagram. She was in a traumatic brain injury a few weeks ago. 
this child. And I've been praying for her earnestly these last few weeks. And I don't pray for her healing. I pray that she gets up, that her heart rate increases, that she's able to see her brother. I pray these very specific prayers and I put those out there because that is what I want. That is what I hope for. And when I write that down, it takes me out of this place of hopelessness and moves me into a place where I can believe. And then on the bottom is a place for you to write what is good in your life. And again, just like prayers, these work better when they're specific. I don't just write, I'm thankful for my husband, although I'm thankful for you. But I pray, I pray more specifically, I'm grateful that Joel put Joel, or Dan, no, maybe Joel put you asleep too. But Dan put Joel to sleep last night so I could work on this, right? Like I put very specific prayers. I was grateful one day because my, I got this really fancy tea from Harney and Sons, and I was grateful for that. Like that works. Like use what you are grateful for, what is good in your life, what gives you energy, and write it down. Remember why and how good is acting in your life. So if this is a good tool for you, please take it home. Use it. Start to write on it. You can order the journals online if it's helpful for you, or you can create your own. They're a little feminine, guys, so you might want to hold off on that, but you can create your own. Just generate your own scripture verse. It's a really good practice, but more importantly, the way you do it, doing it every day or every other day, whatever works for you, it starts to create that concept of practice that was so important to us. Okay, we're almost done. If you notice, if you have my gift, the gift of self-criticism, you may have uh, noticed that I intentionally skipped over verse seven and the end of verse nine. I just gave you parts of verses. And here's why. I wanted to reveal to you something at the end of this verse that I found so compelling because at the end of each of his instructions, Paul says the same promise. He gives the same promise. So I'm gonna read this whole thing to you. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything our minds can comprehend. It literally says minds. It's talking about this thing that we can't understand with our own thinking. And it says his peace will guard you like a fortress. That's what that word guard is, like a fortress. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So focus your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Then the God of peace will be with you. If I'm honest, peace is kind of my least favorite virtue in the Bible. I, I, like when I think of it, I think of like bad answers to Miss America pageants and Woodstock. Like I don't, I don't think of like really strong imagery of peace. And every time I see this in the Bible, I have to remind myself, I replace it with another word. I replace it with shalom. It's the Hebrew word. This is in Greek, but it comes from this Hebrew word, shalom. And shalom means to be joined together that which was separated. To join together that which is separated. What if our minds were never meant to be out of control? What if we were always supposed to to walk our dog alongside us? And what if we felt assured and confident and at peace doing that all the time? What if that was how we were supposed to be? As I dug into this promise, as I started to think a little bit more about peace, I realized like how incredible is it that when 
I think about what I want most in my mind, what I long for in my thoughts. It's not joy, it's not love, all those things are good. I long for peace. I long for peace of mind. That's what we want, isn't it? We want this to be easy. We want this process to be easy. We want to feel like this is always how it was supposed to be. And I don't think it's on accident that Paul understands that that's our longing. It was the longing 2,000 years ago. It's our longing now. And we have a God who has always wanted that for us, always. It was separated and he wants to help us join it back together. He wants to work with us in that peace. He wants to show us what peace of mind looks like. And he gives it to us, not out of obligation, not out of a duty, because his love for us is so strong and so all-encompassing that he can give us the most perfect gift of all. My prayer for you, my specific prayer for you this week is that you dig into what it means to have peace of mind given by a God who is peace. I hope that you find the answers by looking at the tools that you have around you of practicing those habits again and again because it won't come tomorrow or the next day. But eventually, over time, you will form a pathway that God always wanted you to have. Let us pray. God of peace, you are full of promise and your promises are true. Lord, we are so thankful for what you have given us in your life. Let us recognize the good. Let us pause when we're in moments of stress and lead us onward to know your promise of peace exists in our lives. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Dallas area, we would love for you to visit us. For directions, service times, and more info, visit us at grove.org.